the Speech Uncensored podcast is bringing medical SLP ear candy to your podcast queue weekly. This week is no exception, of course, as I welcome a dear friend, Melissa Curley, to initiate the very first of a new series I'm developing called From Podcast to Practice. The idea of the series is to look back at a specific episode or two and discuss how we've implemented the concepts, the techniques, and the evidence presented into our clinical practice. We're going to discuss what works, what didn't work, and where we still need to learn. So this should be fun, right? (laughs) Okay, here we go. Let's meet Melissa. Hi, Melissa. How's it going? Good. How are you, Leanne? Oh, I'm doing terrific. I'm so thrilled to have you on the podcast today. I'm really excited for our topic. I am super happy to be here. Thank you so much. Um, So you're going to be my first guest in a new little series that I'm trying to develop that's called From Podcast to Practice. And it's where we sit down and we talk about a specific episode or two and how we've been trying to apply what we've learned in that episode to our daily practice and the work that we do. So, um, Melissa, which episode have you chosen for our very our very first from podcast to practice? <laughs> uh, well, I chose season one, episode twelve, "Meaningful Aphasia" with Sarah Barr. Um, there's so many of these podcasts that have just been so good, and I've just eaten up and had such great information. But that one in particular. Um, had some really good wow moments for me. And so it helped me really to think about um, person-based therapy. Mm. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, Sarah, everything you're saying is like, yes, 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 yes. Why have I not been doing this before? Why is this like new information for me? Yeah. It's a little embarrassing. You okay, that's how we grow. Totally. You thought you, th- you were thinking about it a certain way and then you realize, oh no, that wasn't, that wasn't quite enough. So it was really eye-opening. That's right. And I mean, I had identified that I was feeling like I was stuck in a rut with certain types of therapy and not liking it, not feeling like I was making meaningful changes, maybe measurable changes, mm-hmm. but maybe not meaningful. And so that's where I really like where we're headed um, in our field towards just digging in with the patient and being like, What's the most important thing for you and how can I match that and walk alongside you and support you in in meeting that goal? So it's very exciting. Absolutely. I know in her podcast, she was talking about working with a patient who really didn't have much of a change in her um, WAB, Western aphasia battery um, results, but the quality of life and the changes that she had with her interactions with her partner and with the world around her were so much more rich. And I was like, yes, that's it. That is, that's what we, that's what we want, you know? So, um, it helped me to realize that I was, I thought that I was paying more attention and trying to ask people what was important to them, but it really helped me to see, like, I I think I was a bit more focused on seeing that number rise on their standardized assessments. Yeah. Me too. Um, so, yeah. So now I'm, I'm just learning everything from Sarah about how to, you know, like take those measurements in a very organized pattern and learn how to just completely rewrite my goals and learn how to like relearn how to write goals where I can measure these functional changes in these patients' lives that is supported by, you know, insurance reimbursement and things like that. Like I'm making meaningful changes that go along with their impairments and everything like that. So, yeah. well, Leanne, I would love to see you uh, like share some of that because I know for me, goal writing is a pretty, that's a, that's a pretty big weak point. Um, so I would love for you to show kind of how you've, um, you know, perhaps in a later podcast, but um, what that progress has looked like for you. Yeah, girl. I was like, it's a work in progress. I haven't quite figured it out yet. Yeah. I'm still learning from Sarah Barr, but oh, and it's, it's gradual. It's, you know, it, and this is one thing that she talked about with me is that you just, you pick one thing and you change one thing in your practice and you get consistent with that. And then, okay, you're steady there. Now you pick one more thing and you, you know, so slowly you're revolutionizing your practice and you're not just abandoning the way you've done everything and starting from scratch. So. Absolutely. Yeah. I know it's easy. 
And it's easy for me. I get like a tidal wave. There's all this information that's out there and we're getting so many more better resources. And I'm like, oh, that's great. Oh, that's great. I need to look at that. And then all of a sudden I have 8,000 resources and I'm like, I can feel overwhelmed. So that idea of like, that's okay. Just pick the one and focus on the one thing for right now is kind of how you chip away at that. Yeah. All right. Before we get too much farther into this, Melissa, (laughs) tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Who are you? Why are you on this podcast? Besides, you know, you're an incredible, wonderful, terrific SLP. But tell everybody, everybody. Well, thank you. Um, So I started, I did my undergrad at the Metropolitan State University of Denver, where I was a Spanish major and a linguistics minor. And it was through linguistics that I started to hear more and more about uh, speech language pathology and then um, realized that's where I wanted to be and do. Um, So then I went to uh, grad school with the University of Kansas. And when I was at my clinical practicum, I had this extra special clinical practicum supervisor, uh, whose name was Leanne. Maybe, maybe you know her. Oh my gosh. She sounds amazing. I bet you had the best experience there with her. Didn't you? I, I actually did. Um, um, so Leanne, you know, because, um, I've known you for this long, but Leanne has been such a great resource for me throughout the years. Like it's been so many, but um, I graduated in 2017, so I consider myself a toddler clinician, not not quite a baby clinician anymore, but I still am a youngin with so much to learn. And uh, I always still reach out to Leanne for information and advice. So when she started the podcast, I was so excited, um, and I think it's been such a tremendous thing. Um, so, yeah. well, thank you. You're, you're cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, I graduated in 2017, and then I went to skilled nursing in Flagstaff, Arizona, which was a really, um, really cool experience. Um, I got to work with where Flagstaff is located. I got to work with a lot of Native elders um, because the Navajo and the um, Hopi Reservation are right there. Um, and so our traditional approaches to therapy and like therapy tools, like using calendars and alarms and all these things really went out the window because they just have a different construct of time and, and, um, the way they approach things. And so those just weren't effective. So it was a really good eye opener for, um, thinking more about what was going to work for a particular patient and not just trying to do necessarily the cookie cutter kind of um, approach therapy. Um, and then I moved back to Colorado, um, and I did some work with Kathy Perez of exceptional voice. So, um, she specializes in voice therapy, um, particularly with transgender voice, but with, you know, all sorts of voice issues. And, um, I'm currently working in outpatient therapy, which is my love. Um, I always thought I'd be in a hospital, but, um, I love the relationships I get to develop with patients and outpatient. I love to see the progress that they can have there. Um, I love that I get to see a variety of patients. Um, and I work with a lot of neuro patients. So um, I, my favorite things that are emerging of what I do are working with people with aphasia and dysphagia. And I'm also um, working a lot with head and neck cancer. Um, so those are all just so interesting and I feel really lucky to get to um, help these people. That's really cool. Um, I think the other thing I wanted to point out though, is it kind of sort of low key sounded like I was one of the only people that you would reach out to, but I feel like you have built a really great network of people, um, to walk alongside of that you interact with, that you've built mentorship types of relationships with a lot of people. And I think that's really important and really good. And why, um, like when I started this podcast, I reached right back out to you and I was like, you know, bouncing ideas off of you and and wanting you to come on the podcast too, because even though you consider yourself a toddler clinician right now, like I think what you know and what you continue to learn and how you're always adapting and absorbing information and improving, like that's, that's incredible. So thank you. Um, Yeah. I've been really lucky to have worked under next to by some really amazing clinicians and you know many of them have their own little niche and so yeah i'm launched i am latching on to those folks to uh 
you know, absorb their knowledge and bounce ideas off of. And so um, my network, I have people that are more voice or more swallow or, you know, degenerative diseases or, you know, the gamut, skilled nursing. So it's nice to know so many people from these different um, facets of what we do. And I will continue to reach out to them throughout my career, I'm sure. I'm pretty sure I told you before that you couldn't take any more students on because I was just going to be your lifetime student. <laughs> I mean, I guess I can share the love a little bit, but just a touch here or there. Well, you know, yeah, like I've had like three students since you, and I'll be starting with a new student in a few weeks. And um, it's funny, like, because everybody's different. And so some students, um, or I should say former students, they, um, they'll still reach out, they'll still ask about things here or there, but I would say you're probably <laughs> the only one so far who's just been really consistent about maintaining a relationship, you know, even beyond just a mentorship. And uh-huh. so I, I think that, that just builds, I just feel like that's just part of like healthy adulting. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. I just recognize, I mean, I can't obviously speak for any other person, but I just recognize how little I know and how many other people have had more experience in general or on a given topic and, um, you know, are just better equipped to provide me with a, a idea that I didn't have before or to support. Yeah, you're in the right direction. Keep going with that. So Yeah, sometimes just having that assurance that like, yes, what you are doing is right, is what you're supposed to do. And sometimes that's all I need. You know, I'll just speak for myself. Oh, yeah, I need that. (laughs) Well, I think we're ready to transition over to kind of our first um, topic that we can dive into. Um, Let's we've gone down a couple of different rabbit holes. So let's refresh everyone's memory about the specific episode and kind of topics that we're going to be focused on. Sure. So that's going to be Season one, episode 12, Meaningful Aphasia Therapy with Sarah Barr. And then um, some of my examples are going to be coming from uh, a different couple episodes. Uh, The ones with Megan Sutton from Tactus Therapy. Um, She was on season one, episode 17, and season two, episode seven. And so those two episodes, like, I'm probably going to be referring to um, just to give my own experiences with that part. Okay, so Melinda, we want to be talking about the good, the bad, and the ugly. Like what works, what hasn't worked. Have we hit roadblocks when we're trying to um, adapt our therapy, change our therapy, uh, make it more person-centered care? Um, What should we start with? I guess we should start with like a success we've had. Um, Sure. So a success that I've had, um, I think trying to think like based off of the um, recommendations that Sarah Barr had, I've been trying to think a bit more from that AFROM network, which is the um, aphasia framework for outcome measurement. And just thinking about, um, she had mentioned that she does like a language launch pad. And I thought that was so obvious. And so like, so good. She talked about things like medical needs, ADLs, social needs, home needs, and safety, and using that as like a springboard for creating other things. And so um, I feel like that's been really helpful because I have patients, I feel like I've tried to be very good throughout my career of asking like, what's important to you? What were you doing before that you weren't doing, that you aren't doing now? And um, what do you want to be doing um, that you can't right now because of your thinking skills? And um Sometimes you just have those people that, you know, they recognize that there's something going on, um, that they're having changes in their, in their memory, attention and whatnot, but they, um, don't do anything. They just watch TV. And so I'll try different approaches to try to, well, you know, what do you want to do? I don't know. I don't know. Um, so I kept feeling like I was getting roadblocks in that, in that area. Um, but by, Thinking of this way about their medical needs, ADLs, social needs, home needs, and safety, that are that that provided a good way to focus on some therapy, and it also helped me to think about, um, you know, what are you doing this next week? Um, you know, I've maybe a patient who is going to a wedding soon, so she um, 
then we started working on, and she had um, aphasia. So then we started working on confrontational naming associated with weddings, creating some scripts that she would be able to work on. So when she goes to the wedding, she can better interact with guests and with um, family. And then figuring out what other uh, compensatory strategies would be helpful. So I feel like that's been a success for me in finding those more meaningful um, tasks to complete in therapy. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I love that. You know, rather if you're going to do confrontational naming, it's easy to grab the cards that come with the LARC kit or something else that maybe the facility has purchased. Um, But if you can glean from your patient something that interests them and be able to use that, especially something that's coming up that they'll be able to utilize. Because if you're, you know, I think about that and I'm like, if you're working with somebody in skilled nursing and they're like, oh, I used to love to garden. And you're like, great, I'll use gardening terminology with you or, you know, or therapy. But like maybe they're a resident there now and they're never going to garden again. Yeah, I've had those patients that are like, that hurts my heart to think about those things because um, I can't do them anymore. Um, so, yeah, sometimes like it, it still is a good springboard of uh, deciding like, is this, does this create more focus or, oh, we should steer away from this. Um, I have a patient who has a severe expressive aphasia, really good receptive, and um, he loves to camp. So then we pulled out information like um, some a, a page with a bunch of images of camping things so he could work on confrontational naming of objects and then build sentences from that like where's my sleeping bag or um, light the fire something like that so and that was really motivating for him in a way that hadn't been for him um, doing therapy in the past so that was awesome nice that's really cool um, I can share a task that I did with a patient, um, rather than do worksheets, um, this patient was interested in, uh, reading and writing skills. Those are the two most important things for her. And so to address those, we got out her iPad and went to Facebook messenger and started working on reading the messages that her family members would send her and then crafting responses. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. that I'm happy. I'm, so I mean, it made me happy yeah, too. Totally. You know, speaking of text messages, it's such a powerful tool um, because it can be sometimes if somebody's trying to work on something that's like a longer passage and it's just a bit overwhelming. Texting can be just a little blurb that they can work on. Um, and I have really been using um, voice to text um, for maybe something like articulation um, or. Um, if they have like spelling difficulties, but I've also recently started doing text to voice. So that same patient with the severe expressive aphasia, he could read sentences. So people would text him and then he would just use, um, actually he could not read. Um, and he would have to have his mom read to him. He's a younger guy, um, had to have his mom read all the text messages. Um, hard to be kind of like, what if you wanted to have a sensitive topic with one of your friends and, you know, your mom is reading everything that you're discussing with a friend. And so I, we enabled the um, text to voice. And so he's able to listen to his messages without having somebody else come in and do it for him. And that was really freeing for him. And then another thing we did with the, I did with the same guy is, do you know what Bitmoji is? Like a little bit, but Go ahead and tell everybody. Okay. So Bitmojis are emojis, but it's an app that you download and they have the most funny um, pictures on there. You create your own little avatar. You actually just take a picture of yourself and it like already puts a lot of the features on and then it inserts you into these um, emojis. So it could be you like riding a unicorn (laughs) or tucking yourself in bed. They are so funny and a friend of mine would use them all the time sending them to me. And I just realized how much personality you could demonstrate without using words. So I asked him if he was into it and he was. So we did some training on that. And then we're still working on that that um, verbal output, but um, he is just finding so many other ways, hopefully, um, to be able to express himself and, and demonstrate some of his personality. Oh, that's awesome. Well done, Melissa. Yeah. I love your creativity. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> uh, it's it's. I love when I can make myself giggle with the things that I'm 
like having people do if they're into it, you know? Right. Um, so when, when both my patient and myself can express some personality, it's a pretty fun win-win. Yes, absolutely. Um, so let's see what other, yeah, I think those were the big ones that I wanted to mention as far as ditching the workbooks, finding some meaningful activities within their life. Mm. Yeah. I mean, we could, we could go on and on and on in this area. Um, but we're going to move on to the like less exciting parts, you know, the parts where it's like we tried and we failed or we tried and we hit a roadblock and it was just like, ah, oh, this isn't working. Like I thought it would work. What's going wrong? Cause that's an important part of applying what we're learning is learning from our mistakes or like what went wrong. And so, um, one one thing I started using that I hadn't been using before was a uh, a questionnaire, like a priority questionnaire for voice patients, and they would rate a scale of one to ten, um, and answer. I think it's like sixteen different questions about using their voice in different types of scenarios and the importance of being able to use their voice in those scenarios. Yeah. And so I've given are you, a couple pages. Are you going to share that in the uh, in the show notes, Leanne? Oh, yeah. Sure. That yeah, sure I will. That actually, I got it from a list that Sarah Barr made. So I feel like uh, Sarah Barr should share have a the box. love. <laughs> <laughs> put a little star there. I'll put that in the show notes. And um, well, because here's here's my kind of little like, oh, that didn't quite turn out like I thought it would. Now people complete complete it. They give it back to me. I see what's the most important usages of their voices that they want to be able to achieve that maybe they're not achieving right now with whatever the problem is with their voice. Um, but I, it's kind of then the translation to how do I make that a goal or make that a therapy? It's more of like a, an outcome measurement, which I think is exactly the worksheet that it was presented to me on by Sarah Barr was like a patient centered outcome measure. So it's like, we do our voice therapy. And then I say, you know, you rated uh, being in a room, in a classroom and being able to be heard by people in the back as the most important thing for you to use your voice on. Do you feel like you yeah. need that? Like, I guess that's how I'm supposed to use it now that I'm talking it out loud. I think I've solved my own problem, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes that's all it takes. It's just presenting it. And when you present it, then you realize, oh, OK, yeah. Oh, I should have just thought about that a little bit more. Hmm, okay. <laughs> Sometimes also coming back to it a little bit later, then that's what does the trick. That's right. A little bit of distance. Let it marinate for a bit and come back to it. Mm -hmm. All right, Melissa, well, it's your turn. <laughs> Put on blast what's not been working for you or that's been a struggle. <laughs> so one thing that's been a, it's been a struggle, it, everyone is all about the V-nest you know, great outcomes. You know, this is a, this is something that really works for people. And every time I've tried, I've fallen flat on my face. And so does that mean it's a bad uh, thing? No, it just means that I don't know what I'm doing and I didn't prepare myself enough before going in. And each time I'll try to read, you know, oh, okay. I think I understand, you know, you've got the verb in the middle and blah, blah, blah. But then it's, it's just clear to everyone, myself and the patient's, that um, I don't know what I'm doing with it. So then it ends up being terrible. Um, so I'm trying to remedy that. I know on MedBridge right now, there's a VNest continuing education. And I'm right in the middle of it. Um, it's already really great. They give a plethora of um, outcome measurement tools um, in order to identify and, and uh, the specific impairments and to show growth across therapy. So that's kind of where I'm at with it right now. But um, is it a talk just specifically on VNest? It is. Oh, oh, okay. So I um, before I forget, so VNest is verb network strengthening treatment. And it's like constructing sentences around a verb. And so the patient comes up with the who and the what, and then on further steps, you can um, expand that sentence by answering like um, when and where and why. Absolutely. Yep. And then um, they have found that there has been some, um, oh gosh, I can't think of the word now, but words that were not directly um, drilled upon. Um, they've, they've seen growth in, in other words. 
yeah, so it's generalizes. It's not just very specific. Yeah. Girl, I'm here for you. Yeah. I got you. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Um, so the, the specific one that I'm looking at right now, it's called Venus protocols, cases, assessment and outcome measures. And so far it's really great. Um, who, um, you know, it, it is, who's the teacher. Okay. Let me open that back up. It is Lisa Edmonds. Oh, yeah. I'm, There's I'm a lot of stuff coming up on MedBridge. Yeah. So that's yeah, a great resource. Um, Mm-hmm. I try to listen to continuing education. You know, there's, there's so many people when I listen to these podcasts that are like, I spend all of my waking time studying these things and that's just not me. And <laughs> you know, once I got out of grad school, something, something died in me a little bit in my drive. Um, so it's a challenge to find, uh, like time to be a human and to learn all of these amazing things that can make us better clinicians, that can make our job easier, that can give us better patient outcomes. Um, so I find I typically try to listen to podcasts and continuing education while I'm driving. And then I try once I get to the place I'm going to look up the show notes and whatnot so I can pull those resources because I'll hear these awesome things and I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to remember that, but I'm driving. So can't do yeah. anything about that. Yeah. Um, and that's what the show notes are for. It's, you know, cause that's what mm-hmm. I do. I listen while I'm driving and I can't take notes while I'm driving. So I want to be able to go into the show notes and, and pull those resources to implement them, to continue learning from them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I would say to kind of bring that back, VNest has been uh, something to for me to grow with something for me to work on. And, um, also, you know, using something like tactus therapy and constant therapy with higher level patients. Um, and that's something that I just, again, need to do some continuing education, maybe reach out to, um, those people and see what ways, because they're all really approachable and really wanting you to be able to use those products to the best of their ability. Um, I know it's coming from my lack of knowledge. Yeah. You know what? I, I can totally identify with the trouble with V-Nest. Um, I've definitely been there. Um, when I tried using it, uh, you know, the idea is that they create three unique sentences with the same verb. So they, they're getting different who's and different what's for three sentences. And I, I'm struggling with how to encourage my patients to think of novel terms because for who I'll get a lot of pronouns or a name of a person. And I feel like the protocol wants them to do like um, professions. So if you're, no, I think they do want it to be um, specific, like a person's name, like Sally writes a book. I think so. Oh, okay. See, maybe that's where I need to clarify my own understanding. <laughs> uh-huh. So, you know, maybe we should watch this, um, this, uh, see you together. Ooh, a watch party. Ooh, we're such nerds. I love it. And our watch and teach, because that's, you know, like you talked about, I reach out to people all the time, like to try to better understand a concept or see if there's any different ideas. And so I know that I learn really well from seeing something demonstrated. Um, so maybe trying to teach it back to somebody um would be a good way to go about that great i'll practice on my student who's starting soon i'm like you're gonna be my patient i'm gonna try to do the nest with you <laughs> she's gonna be like no <laughs> but at the same time that's a really good way for her to see that like what the process is like for us even if you're already got your scenes doesn't mean that you aren't still trying to work things out and it's still a learning process across your entire career so the sooner that she learns that, <laughs> the better position she's going to be yeah, in, I think. That's true. Um, another, okay, one last thing about V-Nest mm-hmm. is that um, Tactus Therapy in their advanced um, language bundle, I can't remember which one it's in. Um, basically, it's an electronic version of V-Nest. Oh, yeah. And uh-huh. I have to really good. Yeah, I've just seen like the advertisements for that, and that looks really appealing. 
yeah, girl, get the light version and play with it because um, that might help too. I actually just used that the other day with a client in therapy and they did so good with it. And I was like, well, this makes it easier. I like this. <laughs> help you help me. That's right. Thank you, technology. <laughs> All right. Um, are we good here? Are we ready to transition on to... Um, talking about some of the other resources that you've kind of been collecting and learning from that you want to share with folks. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, honey comes speech therapy is just amazing. Um, there she offers on her, um, email, um, list free downloads. Um, she has amazing purchasable like treatment tools. She has a blog with information and I feel like she has, a, I think Instagram too. Um, I just, yes, bars on Instagram, uh, honeycomb speech therapy. So yeah, I'm pretty obsessed with what she's doing. Because it just feels so applicable. Um, so that's the one that I, I use a lot. Um, I really, um, enjoy the MetaSLP collective because not in addition to CU opportunities, they just have these like short educational videos with handouts. So you get like a taste of information and then they give you the resources to delve further into that. So it could be some more rare um, disorder or it could be working with apraxia of speech or whatever it is. They might give like a six to 10 minute little snapshot and then you have the information to learn more about it. So I feel like that's been a really good resource for me. Um, I am part of the SLP Insights Therapy Fix. Me, by being a part, I mean I subscribe to it. Um, and they give you a plethora of handouts, intervention ideas, resources, article snapshots. Um, so that's something that I feel like has been helpful, particularly for the handouts. They're really nice looking, and I've used those time and again for different things to educate patients. Um, another resource I have found um, is these cue cards that are from Eastern health diversity and inclusion. And they're basically a whole heap of different languages. Um, they're communication boards that have um, information in a bunch of different languages. So particularly in something like a hospital, um, it just is a really good basic communication board resource. Um, Did you say that that was free? Yes, it is free. Mm -hmm. All right. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That's exciting. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Um, I really like the idea of uh, aphasia identifi identification cards if a patient is open to it. So um, I've given you a handful of, I think there's three different links of examples. And what I actually do is pull from those because as we know, each person is going to be different and what may be applicable to one person isn't the same. So I go through with the patient. And I say, okay, this is what this says. Do you agree with this? Is this like represent you? Okay, let's put that in there. And what do you think about this? And so we can make a card for them to be a bit more independent if they're going to go out to say the store by themselves and they want to kind of prime their new communication partner with how to best um, interact with them, then they have this resource um, or if they're in an emergency or something like that. So those are some ideas. And I just usually pull some of the phrasing, like I said, and, and, we individualize it. Um, so this is kind of a workbook. So it almost felt like a cheat, but there is the Oxford picture dictionary that actually a patient of mine who had aphasia brought in to show me. And it's amazing. Um, I got it on Amazon and it has 1000. If you want to look up kitchen cutlery, then there's a whole page with different kinds of kitchen items. There's a image of a pic of a kitchen. There is like phrases of things that you would do in a kitchen. So, um, when I'm speaking with a patient about what is important to them, what they have coming up, there's things like graduation, there's weddings, there's, you know, hiking, there's so many, um, images within this, um, dictionary. So we'll find the information or the, the thing that they are wanting to do that's coming up for them. And then that might be one resource we have for starting that confrontational naming of those kinds of images. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? I've, <clears throat> I've had people ask me like patients and um, care partners ask, 
um, for a tool like this and other now is it is it uh, adult like or is it a little pediatric like because that's my problem like, I would know of is like a picture dictionary geared towards children. No, this is absolutely geared towards adults. Um, and I also like that there is a lot of multicultural representation in it. Um, there's objects, actions, phrases, it's just very comprehensive. And uh, no, it is not there. It's, it's like drawing, not hard to describe, but they're not kid like at all. So that's another reason why I really liked it. Cause I agree with you trying to work with people with aphasia, say on, um, you know, letter number recognition than all these apps out here for little kids and they're cutesy and a little insulting for adults. So with that, I use Lingraphica. They have a small talk apps. One of them is called phonemes and another one is called, I think it's called letters, numbers, and colors. And so how I might use that, this is a way for a patient to work independently. Um, they have it pulled up on their phone or on their, it could be on their phone or their iPad, and they can flip through to find a different phoneme and then press that. So, or say a different letter. Um, then they're trying to name that letter and then they can press it to see if it's right. So I have some patients that their families are just, you know, they have chronic aphasia and their families are a little checked out as far as helping them. And so they're just, you know, dying for ways that they can work on their language skills on their own. And I found that to be a nice one. And then, yeah, I'm really interested in anything that a patient can do independently because restoring some of that independence and, and dignity is, is definitely what I am on board with because they, I mean, I've had patients come in and, and kind of vent or just unburden their emotions and talk about how you know, that really affects them and they, they want that. And so I'm always on board with finding things that they can just be independent with and, and take ownership over things again. Absolutely. That's kind of been my obsession lately. Um, people can get, just get so isolated. And so I've been trying to identify resources within the community of either job or volunteer opportunities where they can maybe go to the humane society. And if they're physically able to go walk dogs or, you know, do this different task. So they have something that um, they have a responsibility for, they have ownership of, it's their own thing. And um, I just think that's so huge um, to feel like you belong to something and um, you're contributing to something. So that's something I've been really trying to find and it's a big challenge. So um, I provided a resource to you that was, it's specific to Colorado, but it's, I'm, I'm hoping that other states would have a similar thing. And this is the Division of Vocational Rehabilitation. And they assist people with disabilities to succeed at work and to live independently. So that might be anywhere from working with um, mock interviews or creating resumes. Um, I think they might have a checklist of like interests. That's another thing I'm trying to create. Well, all you do is watch TV. Well, here's a, a whole list of possibilities. Do any of these spark your interest? And then let's move. Try those things. Um, so I would highly advocate people to or encourage people to find resources within their community where our patients can go out and and participate. Yes, that would be so huge. I wrapped up working with a patient not too long ago who um, was part-time kind of working into their retirement and then experienced a stroke. And honestly, they did not know how to be retired. <laughs> And working was so such an integral part of their life. They they didn't know what kind of interest they would have outside of work. And so if I had a tool that I could go through with that patient and try to identify something. And I mean, I did. I didn't have anything organized or formal. We just kind of brainstormed a couple things together with the patient and their care partner. And, you know, that was that. But yeah, something a little more formalized or structured, I think would be really helpful. I just think having like a kind of a plethora of ideas, because I've tried to do that too, brainstorm a little bit sometimes I'm like, okay, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And they're like, uh, eh, eh. Yeah. You it's know, like, out of ideas. Shooting them down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's kind of the uh, list of resources and 
whatnot that I came up with. Very nice. Um, all right. So what do we want to tackle next? Like, what are we looking for to take our practice to the next level? So we've learned a lot from Megan and Sarah, like huge amounts. And what's next for us? I keep saying us, but you first. (laughs) Um, I think for me, it's finding time to um, go through these amazing resources that people like, um, like Sarah um, have provided um, in order to apply them because it's one thing to have them out there. And then another thing to actually be using them into your, in your, in your therapy. Okay. What do I want next? I like, I just, I feel like stealing what you've written about patient motivational interviewing. Like that's um, mm-hmm. something I've been hearing a lot about, obviously, and everything I hear about, I'm totally on board with. I'm like, yes, yes. And yes. But to actually sit down and read a book on it or learn how to do it and practice that I feel like needs to be bumped up in my priority list, but trying not to overwhelm work Leanne with trying to change too much too fast. Yeah, I can agree. I would say both the patient motivational interviewing is having good resources and good skill sets to um, bring that out, but then also knowing how to apply that in their life. So the piece of finding the resources within the community and within that person's life, um, where they can apply those, those interests, um, and also identifying them in the first place. That's where I'd like to focus next. And I think what I'd like to just see our whole speech and language community do is to I mean, we're all out there working and creating things and having ideas. And so I want to see people who have those ideas and like start to share them, like have a platform to spread them out to other parties who are interested. And I feel like there's some ways to do that here or there. Like there are some very large Facebook groups and I've seen people say like, oh, I tried this or I created this and worked with it on a patient and they really liked it. So I thought I'd share it with you guys. And then like there's 56 million comments on it. That's like, oh my God, send it to me. Here's my email. <laughs> I know. Then they're like, I regret, I deeply regret. <laughs> now I have to send a thousand emails. Right. Um, and so, so I just, what, I would encourage people to do that, but you know, that maybe that we would find a better platform to share that information. Um, yeah. Well, I can agree with you. I will say that as far as Facebook forums go, um, within the group, there is a file section. Mm-hmm. So you can upload to the files that document that that thing. And then you can just post something that says, I made this document. It's in the files. So that's one way, but that's only within that one forum. Um, right. Something like so features. I'll be yeah. like, oh, which, which group was that in? And then I mm-hmm. spent like, I, I dive down into that rabbit hole where it's like two hours later, I surface from like, Oh yeah. And I'm like, Why am I looking at children yodeling now? How did this happen? <laughs> what is wrong with my life? I went in for one thing. <laughs> <laughs> now I don't know who I am anymore. <laughs> I think well, maybe another option is a, a platform similar to teacher pay teacher, because that is huge. And, um, like the pediatric SLP world, um, you can go there and find all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. Like meds, pay meds. What? That's like a med- oh oh you're per- oh okay. okay. I'll- oh, right now. <laughs> Girl, you better go like copyright that or something. That's <laughs> yeah. Everyone just gives me their ideas and I put it on my platform. That sounds fantastic. Then I just get to see them all too. Yeah. Um. Hello. That's what teachers pay teachers is. Someone just made a platform for everyone to drop their stuff at for sale, and then they get to post it. I think this is a fine idea, Leanne. I know. Okay. I think we might have to like cut this part out and like edit this out. (laughs) 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 Love it. Mm. Um, And you know what? There are so many other people out there who are 
doing these things. You know, there are a lot of med SLPs out there who have websites, have blogs. Um, I mean, we've been talking a lot about Sarah Barr's honeycomb speech therapy is one of them. Um, there are other websites that do this too. I'm just really sorry. I don't have a list of them to give them all shout outs. Um, but also staying on top of the evidence is really important to us as well. And I'm really excited that the informed SLP has started their like adult section. Um, they've been doing it for the pediatric side um, for years now. And they just recently launched um, article reviews for med SLPs. And so that's mm, yeah, that is an exciting one. It's one I haven't gotten on yet, but I've seen it and I've, it's been next on the to-do list because there is so much research out there and it is overwhelming. And so for to have somebody already kind of give you a bit more of a bite-sized piece, make it a bit more palatable. Um, and you can also, I think within that forum, probably look in the specific area that you're looking for just makes it a little easier to get to. So, yeah, I love that these things are, are, um, available to us. Right. And we, I, you know, previous clinicians didn't just have that opportunity. Yeah. I deeply appreciate people who do the legwork for me, but not all the critical thinking. Like that is still something that is a hundred percent our responsibility and things that we need to keep sharp. So just because they're reviewing the article for you doesn't mean that, um, you don't have to critically assess it on your own as well after that, or, any of the other things that other med SLPs, you know, when they create um, an activity to just assume it's based in research or just assume that this is something that will help us. Cause I've seen some other things out there that I've been like, mm, I don't know about that there. I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep looking. <laughs> so yeah, on things like Facebook where anyone can say anything it's also pretty amazing that we have some of these uh, incredible researchers like Ianessa Humbert, for example, that are um, going on and, and providing their knowledge and, and encouraging people to do that creative or critical thinking piece because it can be pretty easy. I just need something right now. Just tell me what to do without even considering is this appropriate for the patient? Is it evidence-based? You know, so... And you know what? I totally understand getting overwhelmed with all the critical thinking we have to do in a day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's kind of where I go back to, you know, pick one area and just focus on that one, that one thing. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, something I try to do, I don't know if I'm successful. You mentioned like my, my many network of um, networks of, of resources and people that I reach out to. I try to, if I'm presenting a, a patient that I don't um, know what to do with, I try to talk about the things I have addressed and why, or what I'm thinking about and why. So at least it shows I'm not like, just tell me what to do, that there is a critical thinking piece involved in it. And, you know. Yeah. And I, I've appreciated that personally. So thank you for that. Because then it, because it, sometimes when, if you do just, just, drop a question and just ask a question, you know, it can kind of seem like to the person who's going to answer it, oh, you want me to do all the thinking for you? <laughs> that's not how it works. So I really think that's a great structure, like show the thought processes that you've put into it, where you've gone and, you know, elaborate on that question. Okay. Well, cool, girl. I feel like we have touched all the bases and we should um, wrap up. Do you have any parting thoughts or summaries you want to throw out there? Um, I, let me think if there was anything else that I didn't say. Um, oh, you know, one thing that I was going to say that from listening to the um, Meaningful Aphasia Therapy podcast that made me think a bit more was in modifying the environment. When we are giving caregiver training, I think in the past, it's been very easy for me to just print out a handout and then go, here you go. There, you go read this. And that's not really training. Um, if you don't know if they've really absorbed that information, 
Um, so being, it's encouraged me to be a lot more um, hands-on with caregivers and making sure that they understand the information that I'm providing or the ideas I'm suggesting and that they can do it. And that's going to work for them, for that family or that, you know, that situation. Um, rather than just, there you go. Good luck with that. Uh, that's one takeaway that I had. Um, yeah, I think we kind of covered all the other things. Um, it's just been really great to have these podcasts where it helps to reframe your thinking about a given situation or helps you to have some tools that will better support figuring out what it wants. I agree. <laughs> Thank you, Melissa. <laughs> Thank you, Leanne. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. It's been wonderful. Thank you for letting me be a part of your educational experience and your um, initial clinician days. And I'm just so glad that we've like gone through all those different stages of different types of relationships. And now we're just wonderful friends. <laughs> yes. I, I'm very grateful to be able to continue to reach out to you. So thank you so much. And thank you so much for creating this podcast because there's definitely been a need. Um, I think I know that I continue to listen all the time and I'm like, yes, yes. Thank you. I know I have really smart people on this podcast, right? I would be nothing without amazing guests who honor me with their presence. So thank you, Melissa, for being one of those vaulted guests. <laughs> well, thank you, Leanne. <laughs> All right. I'll talk to you later then, eh? All right. Sounds good. All right. Bye. Bye. Want to connect to the awesome resources that Melissa mentioned in this episode? Then head on over to speechuncensored.com and browse the show notes. They are carefully curated for your perusing pleasure. So enjoy. I'd like to thank my guest, Melissa, for her transparency and honesty to come on the podcast and talk about how she's growing as a clinician. I think I benefited from it. I hope you will. So that's really awesome, Melissa. Thanks. I'm also indebted for the resource list that she gathered and provided for the show notes. So thank you. All right. Now I am really looking forward to next week's guest, Jesse Andrix. She's coming on to talk about stress management and mindfulness for the SLP. Jessie has had so many wonderful resources to share with us, and I, I can't wait to share them with you guys. So I would be so grateful if you were to mosey on over to iTunes and leave a review to inspire other SLPs to tune in. If you're one of the first 50, you could be entered into a giveaway for a year's worth of premium CEUs from SpeechTherapyPD.com. Just take a screenshot and email it to me at speechuncensored at gmail.com. My hope is that your brain has been nourished so that your practice can flourish. Thanks so much for joining me today. 